Welcome to Enneagram Plus Yoga, a podcast for the body, heart, and mind. And we have with us again today, Holly Wade. She's talking with us today about wisdom from Brene Brown for Enneagram types eight and nine. And Holly Wade is a certified Daring Way facilitator, a licensed clinical social worker. She is a yoga teacher and she is an Enneagram seven with an eight wing. She calls herself sometimes the bossy cheerleader, (laughs) which is a great description for a seven with an eight wing. But I think you're going to love all that she has to offer today. Thanks for being with us. Tell me a little bit, Holly, about how you discovered you were a seven with an eight wing and what you're learning about yourself. Yeah, it was awesome. So my friend Caroline um, Vogel, who is a priest in Knoxville, she's also a certified Daring Way facilitator. And she has a podcast um, called Mindful Christians. And she's just doing some really cool things at the Church of Ascension in Knoxville. Um, It's called Mindful Christians Living Embodied Faith. And it's, she does, they're just short meditations that she puts out there. Um, and so she, she, we, I wanted when my husband and I got married, we wanted meaning to like, it wasn't like, let's have a wedding. It was, let's have a meaningful wedding. Why would we have a wedding? You know, we employed some of my therapist skills, but also some of my Brene Brown skills, like and so who would we want to marry us? And I, I, I was like, Caroline gets where we're coming from, gets like the authenticity piece and all that. She's not going to come in here and try to make it too much about Jesus mm-hmm. and less about us. And um, so I asked her to marry us and she made us do a little premarital counseling, which she should. And um, she had us do the Enneagram. And so when I've when I did it and got the results back, I was like, this makes so much sense. And it's, it's presenting all my personality flaws in a positive way. So that enthusiasm that I have for things that like, I'm always the one to ask the next question and to drag the class out. When I was in at UT, long story, but I ended up at UT to graduate from my last year of school. And, um, but my major was political science, which was also the whole football team's major. And one of my high school buddies was a football player. And like, we're leaving class one day and he's Holly, you've got to stop asking questions. Like you are dragging this class out. We would have been out there, out of there 10. And I'm like, but I was really interested in what the guy was telling us. Like, I really want to know this. And so, and even when I was doing yoga teacher training, I used to wear this blue scarf to kind of remind myself to listen and not to like jump forward and ask questions and share what I knew, because I did know some stuff that some of the presenters, you know, sometimes it conflicted, but mostly it's just, I knew some of the stuff deeper. However, this was a, you know, 200 hour yoga teacher training. So it wasn't appropriate for me to be like taking people way ahead, you know, of like, well, this is what it means for the brain, you know? And, um, so I, I, Uh, but all of that was from the construct of there's something wrong with me. 
I need to hold back because it would bother the other people. Mm-hmm. And this was like, oh, this is where this comes from. It's a good thing. It still needs, you know, reins and a harness, but it's a good thing, you know, and it's, it's a great asset that some people actually don't have poor things, you know? Um, so that part, the part about, um, of a seven about not feeling negative feelings. I was listening to one of your other interviewees talk about seven and it was a woman from South Africa. And she was saying, it's not that we're optimistic is that we don't even want to look at the negative stuff. And I, I, I think that the two things can be true. I think by not focusing on the negative, we become optimistic was the, would be the way that I would frame it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't focus, like I don't, if something happened, my, my, uh, we recently, we went to Yosemite last week and my son lives in California and he was supposed to meet us. My daughter had flown in from Denver and my son got COVID. Well, his girlfriend got COVID and then he got COVID. And um, I was disappointed and I really felt it. And I allowed myself to feel it for about 10 minutes, you know? And then I was like, okay, so we're still in this beautiful place. We've still got this time with my daughter. How are we gonna just rearrange and make it happen? So I've learned to let, to even name, and I named it, you know, I said in my head, that's disappointing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't dwell on it. So I think I've learned to do that. But whereas before I would have just been like, gear shift. All right, let's do this. What are we going to do? You know? And it was interesting because my husband who, who is, I can't even remember both his numbers, but he's primarily an eight. He had a different response. He was kind of like, okay, well maybe we should just scrap the whole trip. And I'm like, no, (laughs) like, hold up a bit. I'm still dealing with disappoint. Um, and, um, and so, and he, he's a, he's a wonderful. So he was just like, yeah, I probably rushed into that a little bit. Let's just have lunch and we'll talk about it after lunch, you know, cause he could see that I was like, what do you mean scrap the whole trip? Um, and um, so I think, I don't know, I got lost there a little bit, but I think that, that, that feelings, we do feel bad feelings. We just don't dwell on them. Like I see them. I don't, I don't anticipate them either. I remember sitting at my grandmother's funeral and I'm like, I'm walking in. I'm like, okay, this is going to be fine. She was old. She was sick. She died. It's fine. And then the grief came. So Mm -hmm. it's, it still came. It's just, I didn't spend the whole week worrying about it coming, you know, Mm -hmm. and I didn't. So I, I kind of don't, I think of it as a blessing, but I think the, information that the Enneagram gives me is that to like see it that way like to see oh the grief will come you're you're not it's you're not dwelling on it um but you're not also not experiencing it you're just not you know and you're not like spending the whole year oh she might die she you know um but it also helped me understand that that's different about me And so the people who do experience grief in that way, more anticipatory, more worry, more um, immediate sadness, you know, the minute they hear the news, they're not wrong either. They're just different. Yeah. And I would, I would also say that you found like a healthy seven that you were able to sit with the disappointment 
that your son wasn't going to, going to be there for the trip for yeah. 10 minutes because, an, you know, a more unhealthy seven, you may have gone straight to the bar, right? That's mm -hmm. like, it's like seven, seven, they may have like numbed the disappointment. So you're speaking as somebody who is a clinician who has learned to feel your feelings. And, um, and so, yeah, I think that, um, but I think being, aware that you know there's also many gifts in this this optimist seven who can switch gears from that disappointment and just go and have fun and have a good time yeah I love that yeah and this is a quote for the eights who struggle with vulnerability and so obviously you've got that eight wing so you can relate to this one as well so vulnerability is not winning or losing it's having the courage to show up and be seen when we have no control over the outcome. Vulnerability is not weakness. It's our greatest me measure of courage. So how has the practice of vulnerability been a transformative practice in your life? Well, I think as, you know, going to that, back to, to divorcing and moving and all of that, um, you know, even just moving, like I lived two years, almost two years in Knoxville, almost two years in Chattanooga, two years in Nashville. And now we're in Memphis. Um, we did move here because both our mothers live here and they needed some care. Um, but, um, but just the vulnerability of saying, okay, now I'm moving to Memphis. You know, that was very vulnerable. I felt like other clinicians would be like, what the hell? She's just like up and moves every but like the people who matter, the clients who have done good work, they just roll with it. Um, you know, they've like called me and said, okay, let's set up a telehealth visit. You know, they're okay with it. Um, the ones who have lost were probably just not the right fit anyway, or they, and, and that's good for them. They'll go find the right fit, you know? Um, but for the most part, you know, it's worked out. Um, sometimes it's painful. And I think that's where the, you know, having the ability to get up, dust off and move on is, is important. Um, and, ha and, and setting yourself up with people who will support you getting back up. One of the things that I always think of with this, and I know this is silly and it's not like that mental, but it's, it's bankruptcy. Like the story kind of, I grew up with, with my very like I don't know, rigid family was that it, the worst thing in the world that could happen would be that you would file bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. But do you know what bankruptcy allows America, Americans to do? Try new things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We wouldn't have the innovation in America if we didn't have bankruptcy. We wouldn't be the country we were if people were. Now, of course, there are some people who abuse it and some people who screw their lives up when they don't need to. But as far as like, you know, trying to run, trying to start a business and do something really cool or different or um, new, that that is not something other countries have or other legal systems have. Um, mm -hmm. So it it's not it, there is no shame in it. I've closed up this shop and now I'm going to do the best I can to. Um, you know, to meet my obligations, but I'm not going to be able to hundred percent meet them. And now I'm going to look to the future. What's next. Yeah. Instead of sitting here, how does it help anybody? If I get stuck 
and am just shameful and never try anything new again. Mm-hmm. You know, and you, and you look at some of these great business people over the years, there's one in particular who maybe I don't put in this package, but or in this category, but there's other many great people who have a few bankruptcies behind them before they have their success. And, um, and I, I mean, that's just a kind of a silly example, but it's kind of a one that's um, easy to kind of like think about as far as vulnerability goes. It's like, um, you need the shame resilience with it because then you have to say, my, my daughter um, went to Sewanee. She did not finish. So she was a senior. She did everything. She had one semester left. And she didn't go back right away. And so people would say where, and I'm like, Kat is great. Her name was Kat, Kat, um, and is Kat. And um, so they would say, how's Kat? And you know what? The old me would have been like, well, she didn't finish school. We don't know what's up with that. And uh, she works as a nanny. You know, she's wasting her life. The new me, the self-compassionate me, the one who controls, you know, who wants to like, see the best and is, is like, I'm not in shame free. It's shame free is what it is. Not free, but in this area, I was shame free. It's like, she's doing great. She lives in Nashville. She's working for this great family. She walks dogs. She fully supports herself and pays her rent. We're hoping she's going to get back to school and finish up that degree one day. But you know what? We're really proud of how she's handling this setback. And guess what? When she was 25, she trucked her butt back from now, Na- back and forth from Nashville three days a week and finished her um, degree. And we were all there cheering as she walked across the stage at 25. I wasn't, I didn't say, you don't need to walk. You aren't with your class. You know, we had a party at Sewanee. They have cups printed. I had cups printed. Like we did the whole thing because there is no shame in that. The achievement was still there, even though it took a little longer. <laughs> You know, um, and I think that is, I use that example a lot for people, you know, to understand, like, I could have looked at it this way, but how did, how would that have helped? Would that have made her want to go back to school? I don't think so. I will tell y'all the first week that she went back to school, she said to me, you know, mom, when you go to class and do your homework, school's really easy. And I was just like, ah. I can't believe you're saying this your senior year of college, but, um, but yeah, with that, I think that being like, not trying to cover it up made it all the much more better. You know, it made it, it allowed us that space to celebrate instead of being embarrassed by it. I just want to share real quickly. I know we're moving on to our last one, but that just reminds me, I felt uh, in my heart space. I got a little emotional thinking about my dad um, because when my brother dropped out of college and decided to join the Navy, um, you know, my dad never had Brene Brown. Her books were not around. Um, She was not the voice that she is now um, at this time, but he did, you know, have a major experience of shame and that was being an alcoholic and hitting rock bottom and losing a job. And I think because he had had that story and gone through recovery, uh, he, he never shamed my brother. He celebrated him for joining the Navy. And my brother had a similar story. He went back, he went to Belmont, he finished his degree 
and it's doing great in life. Um, but you know, I if 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 the story had been different, if he had been shamed for his choice to drop out of college to go to the Navy and and the path that he went on, he may not be the man he is now. And so that just made me emotional. Like when we celebrate somebody versus should somebody. You know, this just changes the trajectory of their life. Kat, do you want to finish us off with the Enneagram 9 quote? Yes, let's round off our list with the last but definitely not least, Enneagram 9. So here's from Brene. Daring to set boundaries is about having the courage to love ourselves even when we risk disappointing others. So Holly, to you, what would you say to people who live trying to please others and avoid disappointing them? Very simply, I would say, stop it, stop it, stop it. Because you know what? Most, a lot of times those people are going to be disappointed no matter what you do. It's an, it's endless. My grandmother, my, my Appalachian grandmother, um, there was nothing you could do to please her. You would do one thing and she'd be like, well, thanks for doing that. Why didn't you do this? You know, and you, you would show up and she would tell you how everybody else disappointed her. Um, and so you leave going, oh my gosh, what did I, what am I doing wrong? You know, what am what is she, I wonder what she's saying when I'm not here. And um, I've spent a lot of my therapeutic time and my mindfulness time and, uh, processing my sweet grandmother <laughs> and um, all the messaging that she gave me around this. I, there was absolutely nothing I could do to please her at the same time I was pleasing her, but she did not feel free to voice it. You know, she didn't feel safe to voice it, whatever that came from, but you're not always disappointing someone. The other thing I tell people often is if you're the person who says yes all the time, you're going to be the first person people come to. But if you say no, they've got someone else lined up right behind you. They are, you know, they're not going to die because you say, oh, I'm so sorry. That's my yoga night. Um, so with nines in particular, there are people pleasing comes from wanting peace you cannot set boundaries no one is going to thank you for setting boundaries well a really healthy person might thank you for setting boundaries um but most the average people especially when you've been doing something forever and all of a sudden you're like you know i'm not going to do that anymore the other person is going to be like what Give them that space. They get to do that. You change the game. You still have the right to change the game, but they have the right to react to it. If you, but, and you don't need to fix that. Um, years ago, my mother and I got into a little tiff about something I would not do for her. I was pregnant I was eight months pregnant and I had a two-year-old and she wanted me to go do something that for a variety of reasons I didn't want to do that were more familial, you know, complications, but, but one of them was I'm eight months pregnant and I have a two-year-old, you know, yeah. and, um, which is a very good reason. Right. Um, and I said, no, and gosh, the drama around it, there was so much drama. There were lots of conversations, lots of, and then she just kind of didn't talk to me for a while. You know what though? I was eight months pregnant. And so I had a baby and she had to come back and talk to me. 
And it just went away. And we never really like worked it out. It's just, I didn't back down and she didn't get what she wanted, but then something else came along. And so, so with the people who matter, the people who are healthy enough to do it, they will get over it and come back in your life. And this goes back to vulnerability though. The people who aren't healthy and the people who shouldn't be in your life probably because they aren't healthy and they're hurting you, they may never come back. But then it's like, thank you for showing me who you are. Have a nice life. Mm -hmm. um, and I tell my kids that all the time. Ooh, that person just showed you who, who they were. Believe it. And now they've shown you a third time. I think it's really time to believe it, you know? Um, and, you know, so, and also boundaries. I often think of boundaries as like, I think of it like the, like the school, the IEP thing is like, it's the least restrictive. So start with the least restrictive. If you need to ramp it up, ramp it up. Also monitor how someone receives that boundary. And that's your, that's your clue to, is this a safe person? Is this a person I even want to spend time and energy on? Um, very often people don't disappoint us. People, um, I don't, what's the opposite of disappoint? I don't I'm drawing a blank on it, but we find out, Ooh, this story I've made up about how this person is going to react to my boundary is not true. Mm -hmm. They actually took it. And now we have a better relationship. That's pretty cool. That vulnerability paid off in that relationship. And it also pays off in the relationship where the person doesn't come back around because guess what? You don't have to deal with that toxic person anymore. They're gone. Um, so I do think it's really important, you know, for, for someone in that peacemaking role, they're going to have to sit with that lack of peace. You know, they're going to have to be okay with okay, there's, I've, my boundary has created some, you know, discourse here and maybe they need to remove themselves until that discourse dies down. But, um, but they do still have a right to put themselves first and, and get their needs met. Mm, beautiful. Well, Holly, thank you for being with us today. Uh, we just celebrate you and the good work that you're doing as a clinician. And we want our listeners to reach out to you if they're looking for a therapist uh, virtually in the state of Tennessee. And uh, thank you for your time. And we just honor you and who you are, the beautiful soul that you are. Thank you, Holly. Well, thank you. I love what y'all are doing. I think this is really cool. At first, I'm gonna, I, you know, I'm a particularly honest person. Like first, I'm like, how are they gonna combine this? Like, how long can this go on? Because like, how many people are there out there to talk about yoga and, and enneagrams with? But you have surprised me, and I'm happily surprised because there have been some really cool interviews. I did love um, Carrie Marino, who was one of the yoga teachers that I um, loved to go to her classes. Um, she, and I just saw she's grown too, Carrie, I hope you hear this. Like, cause I just, I feel like since I knew her in Chattanooga, she's grown even more and more and deeper and more beautiful. And I loved her, um, your interview with her. That was really cool. Yeah. She's, she's a deep soul for sure. Thanks for being here, Holly. Stay tuned for a short word from our sponsor. And after this word from our sponsor, we'll offer a meditation. Mm -hmm. 
we are feeling run down or depleted, we're out of alignment with our prana. And prana is simply the Sanskrit word that means breath or life force. And so we need to find that breath often. So start with me finding that prana right now, breathing in through your nose. Exhale out through your mouth. And I invite you to find prana mudra hands where you're going to invite your thumbs to touch the pinky and ring fingers. And then you're going to extend your middle and index fingers. And as you find these prana mudra hands, continue to connect with your breath so that you can come back to a state of vitality, breathing in. Breathing out. Breathing in. Breathing out. Breathing in. Breathing out. Breathing in. Breathing out. And bring one hand to your heart and the other hand can hold the hand holding your heart Amit Ray said if you want to escape the anxiety of life live in the present moment live in the breath and then bring prayer hands to your heart and set an intention to stay connected to your breath and to breathe deeply today Namaste